Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have a great podcast for you on this uh, first uh, week of August. Uh, Mike McAdam joins me for his uh, weekly segment of At the Track with Mac. Uh, Mike, uh, my Gazette colleague, will look back at week three of the uh, Saratoga horse racing season, and we'll look ahead to week four. Following Mike uh, is Jessica Mendoza, uh, ESPN Major League Baseball analyst, uh, Olympian uh, gold medalist in softball for the United States. She's going to be the virtual guest speaker at Monday's Capital District Sports Women of the Year Awards Gala. I talked to her about that, and uh, we also talked a little bit of, uh, about Major League Baseball. And speaking of Major League Baseball, our friend Tim Healy from Newsday will join us. He covers the Mets for them, and the Mets have waved their white flag. They're not going to contend for the rest of the season. They're dumping um, a lot of their key players and we'll get Tim's reaction to that and uh, it's a very interesting time to be a New York Mets fan no doubt about that you expected the team to be uh, contending for the National League East title this year maybe get to the World Series instead you're battling the Washington Nationals for last place in uh, the National League East this year so uh, we'll talk about all the trades that the Mets made prior to the deadline and uh, it'll be interesting to see what Tim has to say about that so uh, coming up Mike Pagano my Gazette colleague will talk horse racing in week four of our At the Track with Max segment you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast Track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of Saratoga Racecourse, the Daily Gazette. At the Track features racing tips, feature stories, picks by Matt Donato, Gene Kirshner, Jeff Carl, and Naira Betts. You will also get Mike McAdams' takes on the races. There are direct links to Naira Betts. You can find At the Track online at dailygazette.com slash category slash at the track. It's time for the Daily Gazette's 2023 Best of the Best Contest. Nominate 25 businesses by August 20th, and you could win $500. Nominate today. To nominate your favorite businesses, go to dailygazette.com and click on the 2023 Best of the Best Contest banner. Hi, this is Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports and formerly of News Channel 13 WNYT. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. It's uh, week four of the At the Track with Max segment. Uh, talking Saratoga horse races with our Mike Gazette colleague, Mike McGadden. And Mike is in the uh, At the Track uh, uh, booth at, uh, up in Saratoga. And uh, Mike, uh, the second full week is in the books at Saratoga. And um, the fans were treated to some champions on parade last week. Uh, Echo Zula won the honorable miss. Elite Power took the AG Vanderbilt. And Forte had to wait out an inquiry before uh, winning the Jim Dandy. Yeah, saw some pretty good stuff. Um, uh, that's three Eclipse Award winners that uh, you just rattled off there. And we also um, we also saw Rebels Romance running in the Bowling Green on Sunday. Unfortunately, he fell down um, on the turn. Uh, we can, well, I'll get back to that later. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, Echo Zulu was uh, absolutely spectacular in the, uh, in the honorable miss last week. And clearly at the head of the uh, – 
uh, Philly and Mare Sprint Division now. Um, then we got to see Elite Power um, running the uh, AG Vanderbilt, and he he was his usual spectacular self. We're talking about the Eclipse Award-winning uh, male sprinter from last year. And then Forte in a very interesting uh, edition of the Jim Dandy on Saturday. Um, he's the champion uh, two-year-old male last year, won the Breeders' Cup, and, and uh um, they, they were kind of waiting, you know, his, his saga this year <laughs> included being the, the morning line favorite in the Kentucky Derby and then scratching the morning of the race, then missing the Preakness because uh, he was still on a 14-day vets list. And then he, he ran very well in the Belmont Stakes, which is a, a tough task, a 10 10 week layoff and coming and running in a mile and a half race uh, off that little bit of layoff. Um, but then, you know, kind of the Jim Danny was the one they were waiting for. He finally got back in the winter circle for the first time since April 1st. Um, and it was, uh, it, it, there were three horses in the five horse field trained by Brad Cox and two of them, Saudi crown and, uh, Angel of Empire were, were sort of running in formation with Forte d- down the middle of the stretch, like past the eighth pole. And uh, Jockey Irad Ortiz kind of steered Forte in between them and, and made contact with Angel of Empire a couple times and uh, and then barely got up to beat Saudi Crown, who had been leading all the way around the track and, and got him by a nose right at the wire. And I, I looked at the replay four or five times. Well, I probably <laughs> looked at it about 10 or 12 times to see, you know, all the monkey business that was going on in the stretch, but also at the end, he was in a head bob duel with uh, Saudi crown, you know, probably the last four or five strides. And the only time Forte actually did get his nose in front of Saudi crown was bang right at the wire. So it was a very dramatic, uh, finish um i think the inquiry took about four minutes uh the results stood um you know <laughs> subsequently irad ortiz got uh suspended for three days um which he will do he will serve those next week um for a similar thing that happened two wednesdays ago um so i don't know if they're still looking at the uh, jim dandy to see if there's going to be any suspension action off of what happened there um but so far you know, he'll serve his suspension next week for the thing that happened a couple of weeks ago. And then, and I don't know if anything is extra is going to come out of the, the Jim Dandy uh, replay, but we'll see. Um, so, and then back to Rebels Romance, unfortunately, he, he was the heavy favorite in the Bowling Green and he was kind of running in mid pack on the final turn. And uh, all of a sudden, just like, he kind of like his head dipped down and he might even have hit the turf and he threw uh, jockey Richard Mullen um, who took an ugly kind of barrel roll on the turn there thankfully was not stepped on by any of the trailing horses uh, the horse was okay kind of ran off and they they collared him pretty quickly and then they took uh, the jockey Richard Mullen to uh, Albany Medical Center where he's got he, I believe he's still hospitalized there with a bunch of broken bones, but he was conscious and alert and moving all his extremities before they put him into the ambulance. So that was good news. Um, kind of a scary thing, especially when it happens to uh, you know a really good horse who won the Breeders' Cup turf last year and, and you know traveled over here from Europe to to run in the Bowling Green and probably some other stuff, and then that horrible thing happened uh, on the turn there but everything worked out okay outside Richard Mullen being really banged up so um, scary to see but it was it, it, it was kind of interesting you know how many stars showed up in those four races um, and you know back to the original point three Eclipse Award winners. Yeah. Well Friday's a big day for up at Saratoga the class of uh, 
2023 for the uh, Hulse Racing uh, Hall of Fame will be inducted on Friday. The uh, contemporary category includes Arrogate, California Chrome, Songberg, and Jackie Corey Nakatani. Yeah, um, from a Saratoga angle, Arrogate and Songbird are the two that really stand out. Um, Corey Nakatani, I, I, I don't remember him. You know, he, he was California based and would come out here every once in a while to run to ride in a stakes race for a California horse that shipped out here. But he really didn't have any much of a New York presence, much less Saratoga. Um, but Arrogate, of course, won the, the 2016 Travers and uh, broke General Assembly, Assembly's uh, track record in the process, uh, wound up <laughs> taking it off the board. Um, you know, running the table, winning the Breeders' Cup Classic, and then to start 2017, won the Pegasus World Cup and the Dubai World Cup. Um, and then he finished his career in 2017 by finishing fifth to a uh, gun runner in the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, but that Travers was that was amazing. Um, trained by Bob Baffert. Uh, Songbird retired in 2017 with a record of 13-2 and 0 from 15 starts. So she finished no worse than second in 15 starts and won 13 of them and mostly graded stakes. Um, interestingly, we, you know, both of these horses, actually all three of them are going into the hall of fame in their first year of eligibility and rightfully so, um, songbird, uh, she, she won the, uh, breeders cup. Actually, I take that back. She finished second by a nose to beholder in the 2016 breeders cup. Um, a, a result that a lot of fan, racing fans are still contending that songbird actually won that one. It was a photo finish. Uh, but in the meantime, in 2000, that same season, 2016, she swept the coaching club American Oaks and the Alabama at Saratoga. And she was a California-based horse as well, but she did come out here to win those two races. And then in 2017, she finished her career here by finishing second to uh, Forever Unbridled in the personal ensign. California Chrome, also a California-based horse, uh, best known for winning the 2014 Kentucky Derby in the Preakness, um, but uh, had his Triple Crown bid thwarted by tonalist when he finished fourth in the belmont stakes but he had a really really good post three-year-old career they ran him as a four-year-old and a five-year-old he won six graded stakes after that belmont loss including the dubai world cup in uh in 2016 so uh, as an older horse he was really really good best known for the derby and preakness though and then like i said Corey nakatani primarily heavily based in california didn't really come to new york that often so um kind of interested to see who shows up to um speak on behalf of arrogate um you know baffert train usually doesn't come out here um although he might be here for the sales uh following week so we'll see um but so we got that going on on friday um obviously saturday's the uh, whitney day and in whitney stakes uh, the draw was took place on wednesday and the one to two favorite is cody's wish who's on a six game uh, or six race winning streak while serving as uh one of the most heartwarming stories that uh, racing has seen he's named after cody dorman the teenager from kentucky who is wheelchair bound with a rare physical disorder and met cody's wish uh through make-a-wish foundation when the horse was just a baby yeah, this story just keeps getting better and better. Um, I know it, it's difficult for Cody Dorman's family to travel um, because of his condition. So he wasn't there on Belmont Stakes Day when Cody's Wish uh, won the Met Mile. But um, word has it that they're on their way here to Saratoga to watch 
Cody's wish in the in the Whitney um, on Saturday. Uh, I'll just run through the field real quick in, in post position order. The one is Zandon, trained by Chad Brown. Two is Charge It. Three, Giant Game. Four, Last Samurai. Five, White Abario. And then Cody's wish is breaking from the outside uh, from the sixth hole. Um, it, it, it's, you know, the, the backstory and, and the, you know, the story of Corey cody dorman and everything is really great but in the meantime cody's wish the horse has done his part too by he just keeps winning these big races um you know going back to the british cup dirt mile yeah keeneland back in november um this horse performs over and over and, and you know sometimes cody Dorman's there to watch and sometimes he isn't if, when he is and it's going to be quite a scene because you know they always have a lot of people um in the winner's circle when he wins and the horse comes over and it's uncanny that he recognizes Cody still and he'll give him a little like nose boop or whatever. And, uh, so it's, it's a really cool scene. So we're looking forward to that. Um, the, the one concern from the Cody's wish camp is that he's it doesn't really, I think he's only run a mile and an eighth once in his career. And it was at Saratoga. And I think he got, and he got beat. It was a couple, two years ago. Um, yeah, he finished third in uh, 2021, going a mile and an eighth. Everything else has been shorter than that. So the distance is going to be the biggest question mark for Cody's wish in the uh, Whitney. Yeah. Uh, some uh, undercar uh, races in the Whitney on Saturday. I have a couple of interesting stakes, uh, starting with Detroit, where Caravel will take on Males again. And the Test, which has drawn Kentucky Oaks winner, are pretty mischievous. And uh, Bill Parcells is undefeated. Philly Maple Leaf Mel. Let's start with the te- uh, Detroit. Yeah, um, Car- Caravelle's really interesting. Um, she's a she's a turf sprinter, um, but she's so good that they run her against males. Let's see, um, that included the Breeders' Cup turf sprint, so they have a separate Philly and Merrick turf sprint. Um, but they they ran against the males there. Also in the Shaker Town, she won at Keeneland in April, and she's coming off a win in the Jiper at Belmont Park on Belmont Stakes Day. So they're not afraid to run her against males, and they're going to do it again in the Troy on Saturday. So we're looking forward to that. And then, um, you know, it's really cool, um, two fillies that are showing up in the test. It's, you know, it's a seven furlong race restricted to uh, three-year-old fillies. And pretty mischievous. Um, she won the Kentucky Oaks, which is a mile and an eighth. And then she, she also won the Acorn on uh, Belmont weekend, the Friday of the Belmont Stakes. Um, and that was a mile and 16th. So um, clearly they're making a move back to sprints, um, which is kind of interesting instead of um, stretching her out in distance. I had talked to the trainer, Brendan Walsh, the other day, and he's, he's not ruling out you know, going longer distances eventually again with her, but for now they're, they're going to stick to sprint distances, which means she lands in a spot where she's facing five for five undefeated Maple Leaf Mel, who is a heartwarming story in her own right. She's named after her trainer, uh, Melanie Giddings, who had a lot of health problems. Um, and, and in the meantime, the, the horse <laughs> just keeps winning and winning, um, owned by Bill Parcells, who, who actually named the horse because Mel- Melanie Giddings is from Canada. Um, and so she's coming off two um, graded stakes races, which means she's running against open company as a New York bred, which is, you know, you don't always see a lot of. Um, she won the Miss Preakness on Preakness weekend, and then she's coming off the victory ride on July 8th, uh, another victory there to go five for five. So so that's a cool story, too. And we're looking 
forward to these two horses button heads i mean maple leaf mel is a flat out sprinter so this this the test is like right up her alley and then we'll, we'll see what pretty mischievous does she's pretty fast and has early speed but again they're kind of cutting her back in distance and uh so that that could be a, a pretty rousing stretch drive between these two and the test on saturday i'm assuming parcells will be there on saturday he, well he's here every day really? so yeah, no, he literally, he's here. In fact, he comes in the same, the same time every day. And if you want to find him, he's not hard to find. He's got his box seat. Um, and he goes to the barn to visit his horses every morning, pretty much, too, including Maple Leaf Mel. So he, he's he's here every day. He has a house on Saratoga Lake, so it's not hard for him to get here. And, uh, um, I mean, his competitive juices are, are really being channeled into horse racing now that he's out of football. Yeah, I, I, can can you imagine him actually going up to the horse and acting like the coach when he coached in the NFL? <laughs> That's why you lift all those weights. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because um, we asked Maple, we not Maple, we didn't ask Maple Leaf Mel any questions. We asked Melanie Giddings the other day, "What's it like to to train horses for a coach?" As everybody calls him, and she says he's great. He's he's like a second father to me. And yeah, there's pressure, but there's always pressure whenever you're, you're trying to get a good horse, and you know, especially trying to keep him undefeated and and those kinds of things. But uh, uh, he loves training for for Bills, and he he's you know he's everybody knows how ultra competitive he is so uh um we'll, we'll see what sort of reaction we get out of him depending on how she does on saturday yeah. well mike appreciate a few minutes and we'll look forward to doing this again next week uh same time same station <laughs> yep i'll be here thanks for having me on ken all right that's uh mike mcgadden coming up the uh capital district sports Woman of the year award gala takes place monday and the virtual guest speaker will be espn mlb analyst and olympic gold softball medalist uh Jessica Mendoza, she'll be joining me next here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Tri-City Valley Cats General Manager Matt Callahan. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. On Monday, the Capital District Sports Women of the Year Awards Gala takes place Monday at 7 at Proctor's Theater. And my next guest is an Olympic gold medalist in softball and is a Major League Baseball analyst for ESPN. And she will be the guest uh, speaker, the virtual guest speaker for the event. Please welcome to the broadcast or the podcast, Jessica Mendoza. And uh, Jessica, appreciate you doing this. I know you have a busy schedule, but I appreciate you coming on for, for a few minutes to talk about this. Absolutely. I love it. Well, how much are you looking forward to giving this speech? You know, I think the biggest thing is the fact that this event, you know, recognizes so many young women in the area, but also like the families, the community, um, just being a part of it, getting to know a lot of the people that are involved. There is a huge passion, Ken, for just promoting 
women's sports, recognizing not just greatness, first of all, uh, on the field and the athletic achievements, but the academic stuff and honestly, the community service, like being able to give back to the community. Yeah, but we, we uh, wrote, we, we, uh, I have to tell people here, we're, we're involved in the process of voting for the athletes. We read these bios and it, it amazes me some of the, 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 the things that they, the community service that they do. I know one particular person had a price who plays RPI uh, defense for the RPI women's hockey team had so much stuff. I was just, I'm overwhelmed by what, how they manage to balance this, uh, the schoolwork, the athletics, the community service. I mean, I, if I, I if I, when I was, I could, I don't think I could do this. Yeah, no, I look back and it makes me think of anything that I've accomplished is nothing in comparison to what these young girls are doing. And honestly, the priorities that they set in their life and they're, they're well-rounded. I mean, they love the sports that they play, but they also understand at a young age, by the way, when it's all about you, usually anyone who's around, especially this age group, it's usually about like that, that almost that selfishness. And instead, it's the exact opposite of that. And that's why I appreciate the fact that they're being rewarded for it. The growth of women's sports, it's, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, I, I, I find myself, I, mean, I watch the women's college basketball tournament. I watch the softball, uh, the World Series. I mean, I, I, I watch women's hockey. Uh, I, I cover some of that uh, at Union College for the, for the Gazette. Uh, just, I mean, can you talk about how the, the, the women's sports has grown over the years? I mean, from the time you were playing uh, softball when you were little to, uh, to Olympic gold. I mean, how, how much better has it gotten? Well, I think the biggest growth is actually just more people being able to see it. I think, you know, I've known for a long time, I'm sure you've known for a long time, how great these sports have been. I mean, shoot, I've been part of the Women's College World Series almost 20 years now. And every year, it's been, even when I played in it, it was like, this is the best thing that I've ever been a part of. I mean, more and more people obviously want to watch it. It's getting the opportunity to, to be able to showcase these sports in a stage where more people can watch. And that's what you're seeing, obviously, with the women's basketball tournament, just breaking all these records with ratings, mm -hmm. because it doesn't start with just the championships. It's all the games that are being brought, you know, starting at the high school level. The fact that those games are now being broadcasted and the digital platforms have grown so much, especially at the youth level. So you're able to access women's sports in a way that you never got the opportunity till like division one championships. That was the only time you got to see women's basketball, women's softball, women's hockey. But before that, you couldn't watch the high school level. You couldn't watch the regular season games. You couldn't see all this great action and honestly amazing talent until the very end. Yeah, I it, it, like you said, it's it's amazing how it was growing. I mean, when when you were growing up, was there much encouragement uh, for for you to get involved with softball or even baseball? Because I know when my son played little league, we had girls playing. And I, I thought it was kind of cool to see girls playing baseball. Yeah, I actually started playing baseball. That was my first sport. I was the only girl on our all-boys team. My dad was a college baseball coach, so I grew up with baseball. I was dug out. Those were the guys I was around, <laughs> college baseball athletes. Um, I've got stories for days growing up <laughs> um, with that. But my dad, I mean, he signed me up for baseball. That was all he knew. And, in fact, it wasn't until years later when people were like, hey, by the way, there's a softball league, too. That has girls. And I think when he started to think more down the road to college, that's when he switched me over and signed me up for softball. But I love playing the game of baseball. I love that that was at my core, at my roots. Um, but then obviously getting the opportunities that college softball opened up and the sport, um, being able to get a scholarship to Stanford. I mean, so many things that, that softball also provided.
Talk about your Olympic experience. What was that like? I mean, I, I think the biggest, it's hard to describe, but I think the biggest thing is for me was the Olympic Village mm-hmm. and being able to travel the world within one dining hall. <laughs> <laughs> so you have 10,000 athletes, more countries represented in the United Nations, and you all share one space. And coming from like a big, large Hispanic family, that is where like engagement happens. That's when connection happens is when you're breaking bread, when you're having meals, when you're enjoying food together. And so being able to travel to all these different countries, sit down with the Iraqi soccer team right after we had declared war in 2004 at Athens. I mean, there were so many political things happening, but yet you could sit down and have common ground through sport. And the Olympics talks about that, but to actually really feel it, experience it, um, for me, it was so powerful. But then there's also a gratitude of what country you have across your chest um, and the country that you come from and what it represents. And none of that gets explained when you're training for decades to be an Olympic athlete. But then when you're there and you get to truly experience the pride of your country. um, And then ultimately I had icing on the cake because we won my first Olympics and the gold medal was that icing for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Olympic Games, there's nothing like it in sport. Yeah. Let me get back to the speech here. Have you a chance to tape it yet? Or I mean, what, what, what is the message you, you plan to give to uh, the athletes at, at the gala? You know, there's a few messages, but I think the biggest thing is encouraging everyone to find the things that make them unique, that make them different, um, that make them stand out instead of trying to blend in. I think there's so much pressure to be like everyone else and whether it's social media and trying to, oh, I got to look like this or act like this, to actually find the things that make you unique and own that. Try to set yourself apart. If you want to stand out, it's not about blending. It's actually about finding the things that make you and set you apart from everyone else around you. And there's going to be moments that that's going to be hard there's going to be moments where it's like a mic drop in the room because no one else ever spoke up like that said something like that did something like that Mm -hmm. but ultimately that's who you want to be so just really trying to encourage especially these girls in the moment that they're at in their life so much success so much um ahead of them still but to still understand to not try to do the blueprint of what's been set before them but really try to carve their own path and do something different Reading uh, the uh, the bio in Eric McDowell's press release about your you know you being announced as the virtual guest speaker, it seems like yesterday you just joined ESPN, but it's been it was two thousand seven. Doesn't seem like that long ago for, for me. It seems like you've been there. I mean, it's been like yesterday you started there. What was it like getting to ESPN and you know becoming part of? Because uh, we we are seeing a lot more women involved uh, analyzing or I'm calling play by play in men's sports. I I think which I think is great. So I mean for you, what was the adjustment like? You know, becoming an analyst and then you, know, you went on to you know be doing Sunday Night Baseball you, you continue to be an analyst for uh, uh, ESPN's MLB uh, coverage yeah I mean it's it's been a lot I mean I started just doing college softball and honestly when softball wasn't really being televised it was kind of at the crest of this huge boom that was about to happen mm-hmm. so getting to witness that going from 10 games to a thousand games and 
seeing the attention that it gets. So that was it in the very beginning and doing something that honestly was outside of my comfort zone. I never thought I would do anything in television. That's not, I got my master's degree in Stanford to get involved in politics. So I mean, it's just <laughs> interesting the way your routes might take you. But, um, and then from there, you know, I was doing college football, uh, got sent over to college baseball. And that's when I really knew that baseball was something I wanted to get more involved in and started major league baseball coverage about eight years ago and haven't looked back and I'm still always looking for different opportunities, different things, ways to cover <clears throat> sports, um, ways to, you know, do features and kind of tell the unique story, not just of the athletes, but the stories behind them. Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately there's still people out there who think that women should not be doing men's games. I, I'm not one of them. Trust me. I, I believe uh, when there's, it's, it's, you know, a lot, a lot more women, women are a lot better than some of the men that I, I see on TV. But uh, w what do you tell those people that, you know, the naysayers that, oh, you shouldn't be doing games? Um, to be honest, I don't really answer them. I mean, to me, that question can get answered by, I feel like them looking themselves in the mirror. Like, why are women doing stuff? Like, what what is almost... I feel like people's problem when they have, they hear a woman's voice. Now I'm all for it. If someone's like, I don't like the way that you just broke down my trout swing. I disagree. That means you listen to me and I'm all for those conversations. But if you're going to tell me I shouldn't be doing something because I'm a woman, I mean, welcome to like the modern, like last hundred years. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, to me, it's just to have blatant sexism because of someone's gender, they can't do something is totally mind blowing to me still. Um, and so I just don't engage in those conversations. But if you, if you don't like something like, because of the way that I broke it down or the way that I talked about it, like I'm, I'm all for it. The criticism is real in that way because none of us are perfect i'm going to make mistakes and honestly we're going to have different opinions but you're hearing me as a real legitimate voice and not as a woman that shouldn't be doing it is there anybody that um you idolize or you maybe follow as a kid as a broadcaster that you maybe you, you pattern yourself after or, or is there someone that gave you some great advice uh when you broke into the business well, there's been a lot of people. I mean, I grew up with Vin Scully's voice in my house. I mean, I grew up in L.A., outside of L.A. Dodgers were on our television and radio every single day. Um, that's what's been kind of powerful, actually, working for the Dodgers now, mm -hmm. is sitting in that seat that Vin sat in um, has been this, like, full circle, almost just, is this real life? Like, is this happening? Um, but as far as, like, real life, you know, heroes, people that have, like, really looked up to i mean billy jean king was a huge one she's someone that came on early in my life before i even was doing anything but recognized the passion and really encouraged me mentored me helped me out a ton um and then there was like doris burke julie fowdy susan waldman mm -hmm. women that are in men's sports i mean doris burke listening to her on nba games for the first time and just what stood out to me the most wasn't that she was a woman but she was really really yeah. good yeah she is and that just made me realize, like, it, we can do this. And it's not about, hey, the one-off of, like, oh, look, the, the female's here. We did it. Check the box. It's about hiring legitimately good people. Julie Fowdy is the same, you know, listening to her on men's World Cups, men's soccer coverage, obviously along with the women's, but just how good she truly is. We have her now a part of our Little League coverage as well, so it's been cool to work with her there. Um, but there's just so many. Susan Waldman, obviously I mentioned her, doing the Yankees for decades. Um, but 
as long as you're good at what you do, that's the most important thing. And it, regardless of gender, it's what encouraged me to get involved in the business. Well, let's talk a little baseball here. I mean, we're taping this uh, the day before the uh, Major League Baseball trade deadline. So obviously there'll be probably some moves after, uh, but uh, some major moves and non-moves. I think you know, for you out being out in L.A., the fact that the Angels took Sh- Sh- uh, Shohei Otani off the uh, trade block. Uh, what, what did you make of that? You know, two things. First of all, there's like two sides of me. There's the fan in me that was utterly disappointed. It was like, no, <laughs> because it was this chance that we would see Shohei traded to a contending team that would make it to October, that would maybe make it deep in October, and we'd finally get to see Shohei where we've always wanted to see him in the postseason. So that's that part of me that's like, decision, I absolutely hate this. But then there's the other part of me that understands that two things. I mean, Perry Manazian, I mean, he absolutely wants to keep Shohei. From what I've heard, they have a chance. As much as people don't want to hear that, um, the Angels are a legitimate contender to be able to keep Shohei Otani. So, of course, you're not going to trade him if that's even, even if it's a 5% chance. You're talking about the greatest player that we've seen, not just in our lifetime, but in the history of our sport mm-hmm. and what he's done as a pitcher and a hitter. And then, of course, secondly, like, they're not out of it. So you have Mike Trout. You have Shohei Otani. Could you look back and ever say, okay, I didn't even give it a chance? We had the opportunity to truly buy. And remember, they've added Lucas Giolito. They're going to continue to add, I think, to that organization. And they have a chance to make it into the postseason with two of the greatest players that we've seen. Yeah, I mean, all they have to do is get in the wild card. I look at my, I mean, I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan, born and raised in Philadelphia. Look what they did last year, got in and ended up getting to the World Series. So, you know, you don't know, have to really win the division. Just get, get hot at the right time. And, and who knows what can happen. Exactly. Right. No, and that's, I mean, you'll, you'll see that with a lot of teams in the second half is the ones that we're going to talk about that are like, oh my gosh, they were under 500, they had no shot, but they went and they added. In fact, Alex Anthopoulos did that with Atlanta Braves the year they won. Mm-hmm. I mean, they looked like they were out of it under 500. He went out and bought. Everyone thought he was crazy. Imagine buying and you have a player like Shohei Otani. Yeah. I mean, you're always going to have a chance. <laughs> well, let's go across the country to the East Coast and a lot of Mets fans here in the Capital Region. Who and we're we're gonna have Tim Healy on from Newsday a little bit later on this podcast. But uh, what happened? I mean, the Mets, you know, looked like you know, they were gonna contend for the National League again with the Braves and the Phillies, and now all of a sudden they get out and have a bad season, and now they're sellers. I mean, they they trade David Robertson and Max Scherzer sent to Texas. I mean, how shocking is that to see what happened with the Mets? Yeah, I mean, it's been shocking, and to be honest, we've seen it not just with the Mets. I mean, the San Diego Padres them in the same category of teams with a ridiculous amount of talent, a ridiculous amount of money that they've spent on that talent coming into the year. Both teams, a lot of teams pay, or a lot of people pick to win their divisions and honestly have a lot of success in the postseason. Now they're selling, now they're done. Um, and for you know both those organizations, but for the New York Mets, I think what I think a lot of people forget, and you don't want to put it on one thing, but losing Edwin Diaz in the World Baseball Classic, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to go backwards, but I don't think people truly realize the ripple effect, losing the best closer in the game, and then having to have your bullpen constantly, never really figure it out. Always trying to use different guys. And yes, David Robertson was huge, but who else? I mean, they had so many other guys. And how many times did we talk about this year when Buck Showalter, why didn't you go to Robertson? Why didn't you? And he's like, I can't go to him in every inning of every game. They just didn't have enough arms. And that is the trickle-down effect of losing a player like Edwin Diaz. And honestly, the morale of a team when you have how many leads throughout the regular season that were blown 
because of the bullpen. And that just kills your morale. And I feel like that was a huge reason why we saw the New York Mets not perform the way we thought they would. Well, as a Phillies fan, I'm happy about that. But, <laughs> you know, but uh, well, Jessica, I appreciate a few minutes. Uh, have fun with the uh, speech on uh, Monday, and uh, we're great uh, talking to you. And uh, well, we'll talk soon. Maybe we'll talk some World Series along the way. Oh yeah, no, and, and honestly, we'll go back and revisit this conversation when we see the teams that make it in, and always the surprises. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. That's why they play that many games. That's... Thank you, and thanks for helping recognize all these amazing women too. Well, my pleasure, Jessica. Appreciate it. That's uh, Jessica Mendoza. Tim Healy of Newsday is coming up next. We'll talk about the Mets. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. Hey, Auto Racing fans, the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is back. Here's how to play. Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is run by the advertising department and not affiliated with the sports department. Hello, this is John D. Augustine, the publisher at the Daily Gazette. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The Major League Baseball trade deadline has passed, and one team everyone expected to contend for the World Series has instead waved the white flag. To talk about the New York Mets fire sales, our friend from Newsday, Tim Healy. And uh, Tim, uh, as you sit there in Kansas City, Missouri, if you think back to when you went down to spring training in February to Port St. Lucie, did you ever think we'd be talking on August 2nd about a Mets fire sale instead of a Mets acquiring talent to contend for the World Series? No, absolutely not. I did consider the version of events where the Mets maybe weren't as good as they thought they were, but even then I didn't think the Mets were going to be this atrocious, and I definitely could not imagine Steve Cohen taking it to such an extreme that he did. So this all, you know, thinking back to the spring training mindset, this whole thing is pretty mind-boggling. Where did it go wrong? I mean, did it start I mean, with nothing to do with the Mets but the Edwin Diaz injury? Yeah, I mean, that was one. That sort of messed up the bullpen, bullpen plan right off the bat. So that did happen, but this is not as simple as just losing your closer because if you think this happened because the Mets lost their closer, then the Mets were never very good to begin with because one player does not have that impact. I mean, what, 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 is there anything you can pinpoint to what happened, uh, where, where it went wrong for the team? I mean, I look back, uh, I look back to that Phillies-Mets game that Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia where the Mets basically self-destructed in that eighth inning. Yeah, that's, uh, that was a self-destruction. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I think it is as simple as all of the good players that they had, not all of them, but a lot of the good players that they had, all at the same time, stopped performing to their usual standard, right? Scherzer and Verlander right off the top of the rotation. And in the lineup, go down the list. Lindor for a lot of the season... Peter Alonso with the worst time of June, McNeil all year, Marte all year, Canna all year. You know, right, go, go right down the list. And then, you know, 
immense, immense regression as a team. It was just uh, kind of a perfect storm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess the Mets maybe taking risks with an older pitch, starting pitching staff. Obviously, Scherzer's up there in years. Uh, Verlander at age forty, and he, I mean, he got hurt in spring training, so he missed, he missed a little time in the regular season. Uh, I mean, did, were the Mets too veteran heavy? I mean, were they relying too much on you know people that maybe were uh, you know past their prime? Yes. But they they knew that they knew that risk going in, and they felt they didn't have a choice because the farm system was so barren at the upper levels that they had to sign free agents to plug a lot of those holes. So they knew the being too old thing was possible, and yeah, that that definitely uh, contributed. Yeah. When the Mets sent David Robertson to the the Marlins uh, last week, that's was that the signal that this was going to be it? They were going to break up. You know, obviously, you know, Matt Scherzer had some things to say after last Friday's game uh, against the Nationals, and uh, he wanted to talk with the ownership and the general manager, and he ends up getting traded himself. So, I mean, was the Robertson uh, trade the uh, start of that whole uh, fire sale? It was, yeah. And and what's interesting is. After the Robertson trade, which was sort of expected, it it didn't really hit the same in the clubhouse. Players like Nimmo and Canna were saying, yeah, this is expected, it's a bummer, it stinks. But then you had players like Lindor and Alonzo talking about still making a run and how it's not over, blah, blah, blah. Which, you know, I find hard to believe, but whatever. <laughs> and, and then... A couple days later, when Scherzer goes, that was different. That was that sent shockwaves to the clubhouse because that sent the message that not only is 2023 not the plan, but 2024 might not be the plan either. Because Scherzer was a big, big piece of the idea of the Mets being good in 2024. So without him and now without Verlander, of course, uh, you know we all saw what Scherzer said. That Billy Epler said that. 2024 is more of a transition year as opposed to a reload year and try to win it all year. So um, that all developed very quickly. I mean, I know you. How how the fans reacted to this? They they had to be shocked too because now they're now that they're basically they're saying 2040 as you said 2024 is a transition year. Uh, so made everything they tried, you know, what they accomplished last year, almost winning the NL East and you know getting to the wild card round, getting knocked out, unfortunately for the Mets fans. But I mean, the Mets fans have to be just like shaking their heads, it's like what what's going on here? Yeah, it's interesting. I think a segment of the fan base does understand what they're trying to do in reloading the farm system farm system developing a good healthy sustainable minor league pipeline and don't get me wrong the farm system looks a lot better now than it did a week ago but also you know it's at the expense of winning at the major league level for maybe the next year and a half or beyond so I mean, Steve Cohen, the owner, he's got a lot of money. He was willing to spend. Do you? I mean, do you think now he regrets some of these contracts he handed out, and, and, and you know, now and no longer has Verlander, no longer has Scherzer, and you know, basically nothing at this point? I don't think he regrets them because he 
took that money that he spent and agreed to pay a lot of it for their new teams and turn that into what the Mets believe are, are pretty good prospects. For the from the Rangers and all the tens of millions of dollars that they sent. The Mets got Luis Angel Acuna, brother of Ronald Acuna, who they think is a pretty good shortstop slash second baseman slash center fielder in the future. So that's a big name in their farm system now. Yeah. You know, and, and for Verlander, they got a couple of very good outfielders, including Drew Gilbert, who was the Astros' first-round pick a year ago. So the money was not wasted all the way per se but just turned into a very expensive buying of prospects yeah i mean to me on the flip side with verlander i mean going back to the astros i mean my question to the astros is why didn't you resign him in the first place that's a great question for the astros it wasn't the best executed plan on their part it turned out to be uh Pretty expensive. Yeah, uh, one one of the questions one of my listeners uh, asked uh, Rob Jonas wanted to know why did the Mets acquire so many shortstop prospects with these recent trades? Well, when it comes to prospects, my advice is don't worry about position too much. The Mets have a ton of minor league shortstops right now, and that's fine because just like when we were kids, all the best players are shortstops. And if they are blocked at the major league level, as is the case with Francisco Lindor and the Mets, then at the proper time, those shortstops can just move to other positions. We've seen that this year with Ronnie Mauricio, who is a shortstop who is learning second base in left field. We saw that this year with the Mets in Jet Williams, their first round pick last year, who is a shortstop who is dabbling in center field. And we're going to see it with the other shortstops if and when it becomes a relevant decision. So the Mets acquired shortstops because a lot of the best players are shortstops. Yeah. Tim Healy of Newsday joining us to talk about the New York Mets here on the Party Shots podcast. And you speak of uh, Mauricio, uh, Fran Puglisi was asking, what are your thoughts about him? Uh, will he fit or not? With, with Ronnie Mauricio? Yes. yes. Uh, that's a great question. He's not ready yet in the eyes of the Mets, so he's not in the majors. But I, I think we'll see him before the end of the year. It, will he fit? Will he fit? Yes. I think if he's good enough, he'll definitely fit because he plays several positions now. And it's easy to imagine a guy with that sort of bat carving out a multi-position role like that. The question will be, can he improve enough defensively and offensively to become a legitimate major leaguer and so far he's doing fine in AAA doing well in AAA but he's got a you know a ways to go before he's a you know established piece of the major league man. yeah uh, another question from Rob Jones he was asking uh, do you think the Mets will extend uh, Pete Alonso where they look to trade him you know <laughs> maybe I should get out of the predicting what the Mets are going to do business given the last few months <laughs> um I'm of the opinion that the Mets should sign Pete Alonso forever. And I think Steve Cohen is a smart enough and aware enough guy to realize that that would be a very good idea. Uh, so I guess my prediction is, yeah, I think they do sign him. Um, but, you know, as this year has shown us, plans can change in a hurry. So we'll see what happens. I think that, I'll think they'll sign him, though. I 
don't know that it will be before he reaches free agency. Yeah. Another question I received from a friend of mine at Aggie Tech. She's a big Mets fan. Uh, she's wondering, can we get, can the Mets get rid of uh, Billy Epler? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. Steve Cohen said in June that he still wants to hire a president of baseball operations. And if that comes this offseason, a new baseball boss hired above the general manager, then Billy Epler takes the de facto promotion to the number two baseball person or doesn't stick around. So both of those things seem possible, um, but it's, it's impossible to say which one will happen until we know who the president of baseball ops will be and what their feelings are. How much blame should Epler get? Or does he get any blame? Yeah, I think he gets, I think you should get plenty of blame because Steve Cohen greenlit the highest payroll in the history of baseball by many tens of millions of dollars. And it was a complete freaking disaster. So the GM definitely gets a lot of blame there, right next to the players who have underperformed. So, yeah, Epler, I think, gets the blame for last year as well because he did uh, a bad job with the trade deadline. And then he gets the blame this year because his team fell for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we go back to the J.D. Davis trade to San Francisco for uh, Darren Ruff. That obviously didn't work out. J.D. Davis, I think, was even quoted saying earlier this season, if you're being in the Mets, on the Mets, he's walking like walking on eggshells in that in that building. Yeah, yep, that was a big piece of it. Uh, not finding a D.H. was a big piece of it, so we go go right down the list. It's, uh, there's plenty of items on it. What about Buck Showalter? I mean, how has he been handling this, and uh, does is he safe? Uh, well, he hasn't been enjoying it. Whether he's <laughs> safe or not, it's sort of the same question where it sort of deferred to till whenever we find out who the new boss is going to be, who the new president of baseball operations is going to be, if that person comes uh, after this season. I, in general, am of the mindset that managers get too much credit when things go well and too much blame when things don't go well, which is something I've probably told you through the years. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that applies to last season's Mets and the season's Mets. Has Buck Showalter made some weird moves? Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Um, but on the blame list, I would put him under the players and under Cohen. I mean, not under Epler. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm a big Phillies fan. I mean, Rob Thompson could do no wrong after he got hired last year, and of course this year, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the inconsistency and you know, the Phillies Twitter is just a, a flame with uh, some of the crews, and I've been part of that too. Some of the not not as much as some of the other Phillies fans, but I mean, there are a couple of things I've been questioning, but. Um, that's the beauty of baseball, though. It's it's not like football where you have to, you know, only have 17, 18 weeks in the season. Here, it's 162 games, and you, know, you have plenty of time to, you know, make correct your mistakes. But unfortunately, for the Mets, they don't have that time anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yep, it turned into uh, not only a mess, that's not a strong enough word, but just one of the biggest, biggest failures in the history of baseball. I'm surprised they didn't trade Mr. Met. <laughs> <laughs> you would wonder, right? Maybe his trade value just isn't that high. Well, looking at the, the overall, did the Mets get enough? Did they do okay with all the moves they made? Uh, 
it's the whole idea behind the prospects thing is you can't really evaluate it for years. So, are these prospects going to be any good ultimately at the major league level? I don't know. The Mets think so, but there's been there's that's far from a given, of course. I, what I do give them credit for is being decisive and going all, all in. They didn't just trade their rentals, they traded their aces, which is kind of mind-boggling still, but it's where they, it's where they are. Yeah, I mean, sure, they're going to the Rangers. I mean, if the Grom had been healthy, you may have two ex-Mets pitching together down there. That would be, uh, I wonder what a team with the Grom and Scherzer could do on it. Yeah, of course they're getting up there in years, so who knows at this point? But uh, <laughs> what 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 what's important for the Mets now as they you know play out the string over these next uh, two months? What do what do the what does the manager want to see out of this team? And what do you think you need to see as you cover this team uh, the rest of the way? What what do they need to do to assure fans that they're going to be okay? For Mets decision making and for my coverage, really, a lot of the tone is going to shift toward player development and seeing what they have for 2024. So that starts with Mark Vientos playing a lot more so they can see what they have in him. It's looking at Peterson and McGill in the rotation again and seeing if they are legitimate options for 2024, things like that. You know, play Brett Beatty against left-handers all the time. So, you know, there are some questions that the Mets can start to answer that will help them with next season. Uh, but naturally, the, the stakes will be lower. Yeah. And, of course, they can play spoiler for some of these teams trying to get the wild card, like the Phillies, like the Marlins. So it could have been to see how that plays out uh, over the uh, strain. Of course, yeah, Tuesday night, the way they lost that game on a walk-off walk before the pitch was even thrown. I mean, does that just basically sum up, sum up the season in a nutshell for the Mets? Pretty much, yeah. That was as, as weird and unfortunate as an ending, befitting the day for the organization for the Mets overall. So that that was a weird one, and especially <laughs> Even by their standards. And especially, it's one of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah, well, well yeah, yes, yes. And you know what? You know, the Royals are way, way worse, but the Mets are more more putting that bucket as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, enjoy the rest of the season, and uh, we'll talk maybe over maybe during the playoffs. So, I mean, I imagine you'll probably see some postseason action uh, down the road. I would think we'll see what the Yankees do. Uh, a lot of times, I help out there when the Yankees go playoffs. So. We'll see, we'll see how the next couple months go. Yeah, of course, there may not be any baseball playoffs in New York with the way the Yankees are going, too. So it's going to be kind of weird to see it. No, no, no October baseball in New York. Yeah, Tim Healy, appreciate a few minutes. We'll talk soon. Yeah. All right, that's Newsday's Tim Healy. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest in just a moment. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle, and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity. 
from the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's time for the Daily Gazette's 2023 Best of the Best Contest. Nominate 25 businesses by August 20th, and you could win $500. Nominate today. To nominate your favorite businesses, go to dailygazette.com and click on the 2023 Best of the Best Contest banner. Hi, this is Daily Gazette opinion editor Mark Mahoney. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast, the week 22 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Marianne Furman of Hudson Falls with 30 points. Marianne wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Marianne. The VIP winner was me. I had 30 points. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or received a booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I want to thank Mike McAdam, Jessica Mendoza, and Tim Healy for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and threads at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.